0: Welcome to What Do You Think? I'm Al. And I'm C. And today we are reviewing another entry to the Grand Maestro's filmography. That Grand Maestro, do you know who he is, C? Oh, he
1: is uh, Nicholas Coppola. So, I'm
0: sorry. Uh, Nick Cage, everyone. Nick Cage has a new movie coming out. Uh, What was the last Nick Cage thing we reviewed? Well, technically Renfield. Technically. Technically, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Technically.
1: Yeah. Or I, I mentioned it. But prior to that, um Did we review Pig? I don't think we did. No, no, no.
0: We didn't review Pig. We reviewed
1: uh Oh no, oh my god. Oh, how could I forget? The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Yeah, the That's Unbearable Weight time. of Massive
0: Talent. Uh that was the last that was the last like independent episode we have had of him. And uh I think you know you know, I, I gotta say this with Nick Cage. I am so glad he finally Finally, finally, finally fixed his financial problems.
1: Yes. Well, that's what happens when you buy a historic mansion in New Orleans and a car every day for a month. So there's that. Uh, and also, didn't he get screwed over by Bertie Madoff a little bit? I, thought I, I, think, that,
0: I think that was Kevin Bacon. I do know that oh, he, was, okay. he was buying castles and a Tyrannosaurus skull. Like he yeah,
1: was buying insane things
0: because Nick Cage must've had such a boring childhood where he's like, I need to make my adult life. He's super he crazy.
1: A, he was a Coppola. He was well off, but okay. Who, uh, knows? Al- Who knows? Who knows? Also, uh, he's apparently, uh, one of my coworkers at my day job has told me that they met him once at one of the previous day jobs. Um, this previous day job may happen to have been said, uh, possible strip club. And they said that he was very nice, a great tipper, but um, very talkative. He would like talk about whatever the hell he felt like at not two people, at people. Apparently, that
0: sounds about right. That that sounds about right. Yeah. That, uh, that sounds about right. And uh, what got us really excited about this movie is that this is this is Nick Cage's. Th- 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 there are two big things about this. This is Nick Cage's uh, first collaboration with A24. Yep. Because
1: Pig was with Neon. A lot of people don't realize. And
0: although he's not directing this, this is also Nick Cage's first uh, collaboration with Ari Aster. Because Ari Aster produced this. Yes. And, you know, when you got A24, Ari Aster, and Nicolas Cage... You've got a recipe for something interesting. Yeah, you, you got a recipe for some batshit crazy shit, right?
1: And I will be saying, it may not be a stretch for us to say that this is the best movie made this year that Ari Aster is involved in. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, <laughs> by far, by far. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, I,
0: <laughs> Folks, folks. Listen to our review of If, that, if you, listen, if you want me to spill state secrets, just make me watch Bo is Afraid again. Afraid. I will spill everything. Everything I will destroy national security just to avoid having to go through even another 20 minutes of that. Mm. No, no, absolutely not. But anyway, mm. enough enough about those afraid. We've already, <laughs> I've already I've already said my piece about that.
1: Yeah.
0: Ah, oh, Nick Cage. I know, uh, listen, I know he's a meme. Song. He's a he's a meme amongst the young millennials, he's a meme amongst the zoomers, but you know. There was there was a point in time where, like, he was considered the shining light of his generation mm-hmm. where you're like, oh, this guy, this guy knows how to act.
1: Yeah. And,
0: and he became an A-list star. He became a blockbuster draw. Yep. Right. And rich. then he uh, started doing some bad movies. He started doing some bad movies because he had to pay the bill for that Tyrannosaurus Rex skull and those castles in Europe.
1: Yeah, and also, so there's actually an amazing old, old, old college humor sketch about what it's like being Nick Cage's um, agent, Agent, and it's very funny because there's just this one clip where he just goes, um, it's basically him saying yes to everything because that's the joke, but there's this one little line I love where he goes, uh, listen, Nick Cage, this isn't for you. You can't do this. And he just goes, I like being in movies, Gary. He's like, I know you do, but you can't be in everything that's ever been made. Uh, But yes, he, um, point being, when, when do when did this begin for you with Nick Cage's sudden transition into bad movies?
0: Um, I'm pretty sure it was like in the late early, in the late 2000s, like before the 2010s. Let me, let me, let me see, because it was, it was actually like pretty noticeable that he was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing good things anymore. Uh so he does Ghost Rider in two thousand seven. Oof. Um he uh I like then, how he
1: says those were his real abs. It's like no, Then uh, are- then he
0: was then he was in one of the fake trailers of, of the Grindhouse. Oh, okay, that's cool of him. Yeah, he was in one of those. And uh I think his last big movie was uh National Treasure Book of Secrets. Okay. Uh because then, in two thousand and seven, he does next, which the- Ooh, <laughs> no, I know that's yeah. Bangkok Dangerous. Yep. Although credit to him, he was trying to
1: get a remake out of like, he, they got the same director for uh, uh, the exact same thing, and it just ended up being terrible.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but- um. Then he does Knowing with uh, the director Ooh, of no the, no no Alex Proyas the director oh, actually, of, yeah. of 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 Dark, Dark City. City. Yeah, so, that so was, that was him being like, "Oh, I want to work with the guy who did Dark City and The Crow." Hell yeah!
1: Except, oops.
0: But then, then this is where things are starting to getting a little weird. He does G Force for Disney. He he plays like the mole, I think. Oh. Uh, then he does Bad Lieutenant, Port Call of New Orleans, Port of Call Ooh. New Orleans, which that's him wanting to work with, uh, with uh, what's his face, uh, Werner Herzog. So you're like, sure. okay, okay, this and again, this is like 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- th- this is like when he starts just doing out- batshit crazy stuff because his, yeah. his, the character of Terrence McDonough is a, is a crazy motherfucker. Yeah. Uh, then next year, he does Kick-Ass 2010. That raised, that re- kind of reminds people for a second. Oh, you are good. Yeah. And then uh, with Kick-Ass, he also does Sorcerer's Apprentice. And you're like, why, is, why is he in this? Okay. Why, yeah, why are you doing but this? But 2011. Mm-hmm. 2011 is the year where it's like, oh, Okay. He does season of the witch.
1: Oh right, I combined the two. So, yeah,
0: season of the witch, drive angry, seeking justice, Whew. trespass, which is him working with Nicole Kidman and uh, Joel Schumacher. So sure, I it just ended up not being good. Yeah, uh, Ghost Rider, Spirit that. of Vengeance, oh, Stolen, the Frozen Ground. He makes one. It, it, this is him, like just making a bunch of shit. But then every once in a while, like in the in between twenty eleven and I guess like uh, twenty eleven and uh, I, I guess twenty twenty one. Yeah. For, mm-hmm. So for tw- ten years, ten years. But he he has some good movies in there. The Crudes, Joe, sure. yeah. Uh, uh, he's he just in,
1: just he just just enough to remind cinephiles like uh, like us Mandy. that he could be, that he could be great, but then he just doesn't quite. Well, Mandy's starting to get out of it more at that point.
0: Yeah, Mandy was 2018 where people were like, oh, this is this is when you're ch- able to channel the crazy Nick Cage. Yeah. Uh, but he, yeah he really doesn't get out of it until 2021 with Pig. Then he yeah. does uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Yeah. Then he's in Renfield. Uh, he has a cameo in The Flash that we won't get into. He apparently, he, oh, yeah, there's that. He was in
1: another movie where there's like some sort of heist movie, but apparently that kind of came and went. Um, a
0: heist we movie? Pl-
1: he plays like an older guy or something. Maybe I'm wrong. I'll, Interesting. I'll look oh, he was in that not Five Nights at Freddy's movie at one point. Oh, um,
0: yeah. Um, what was it called? Uh, the, the, the Willie's Wonderland.
1: Yeah, and people like kind of thought that was fun.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. Because he, so,
1: he did that because he didn't talk at it, and he like wanted to experience that.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, Joel Kinneman wanted. Is that's the reason why Joel Kinneman did uh, *Silent Night*. Uh, mm. But, but yeah, in 2021 he had he does *Pig* and *Pig* was a revelation. *Pig* was like that. I was watching *Pig*. *Pig* made me sob. *Pig* made me sob. uh I'm not gonna get into specifics, but I was like, he reminds me of someone I know very intimately. Yes. Um, I. I gotta say, watching Pig, I was like, "Oh, oh, that's right." There was a point in time where everyone was saying like Nick Cage was one well, of, ad- if not the greatest director of his generation. You mean actor? Yeah, actor.
1: Because um, everyone agrees that adaptation is an incredible performance. Yeah, what he does, what he does in that is pretty is is truly remarkable.
0: Yeah, I mean the stuff he does in like. Stuff he did with the Coen Brothers in Raising Arizona. Oh yeah, um, like the, stuff, the, the hell he
1: does the stuff he does in Leaving Las Vegas. Though it's a little on the nose, it's very good.
0: Yeah, uh, the the thing he did with uh, with uh, with uh, a Sharon Moonstruck, where you were like, uh, wow, Moonstruck's. Yeah. Uh, and then what he did with David Lynch and Wild at Heart, like you're just go seen like, it. oh, it's it's a great movie, uh, an underrated one. That I'm like, oh, people always forget that that he did that was, uh, his uh his uh comedic role in uh, Matchstick Man, which I think came out a year after. Oh, I've adaptation. seen
1: that. That was yeah, that was fun. Yeah, he 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 has a that was pretty good. And
0: and obviously, what people consider to be like the last like serious Nick Cage role before, uh, Pig Lord of War. Yes. Yeah, yes. and it was like it was like twenty two thousand five is Lord of War. They're making a sequel, by the way that's because okay. because the, the guy ba- lord of war is based on got released when they had to do a I prisoner
1: exchange. oh he, he got
0: released he okay. got released because they did a prisoner exchange with the WNBA player britney griner
1: okay so
0: russia was like we'll give you Brittany griner if you give us back lord of war guy and they mm. gave them war- lord of war guy so oh now uh God. so now uh uh the the director of lord of war what was name? the guy who did gattaca
1: oh um, yeah um, um uh, Andrew, Andrew Nichol yes.
0: Andrew Nichols, like, oh well, I got my sequel now. Which well, is um, him in jail. Oh, he's trying to avoid it, I guess. No, like, like it's it basically he was like he there was like more to say, uh, and mm-hmm. the movie is called Lords of War, and it has a uh, Nicholas Cage and Bill Skarsgård. So Ooh, okay, Maybe. so so you know uh, that's going to be something. So yeah. so Dick Cage is going through a renaissance, it seems.
1: Yes, he um, really is.
0: And it was only a matter of time before A24 came a knocking. They're like, was hey, like,
1: buddy, you know how we let directors do whatever they want? We'll let you do whatever you want.
0: And, so uh, and uh, here we are. So uh, what's, uh, what's this movie about? Dream Scenario. So
1: well, dream... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Dream Scenario. Uh, I, I, I want to bring this up because I saw the trailer for it and I immediately got very excited because I'm a sucker for a really good premise, okay? The premise is simple. Nick Cage or the character that he's playing. It's not actually Nick Cage. He only played himself once. Um, Nick Cage's character, who's basically a professor at this, at this college. um, Basically everyone in the world starts seeing him in their dreams and it becomes this immediate rapid fire global phenomenon that takes the world by storm almost overnight and that's the basic premise, and it's him dealing with that, pretty much.
0: Yeah, pretty much. And uh, I got to say, just, just before we played the trailer, when, when the trailer played, I was like, I still see Nick Cage. And, and that was kind of my only thing with Pig, was that I still see Nick Cage. Mm-hmm. And then I saw the movie. Yeah. And I did not see Nick Cage. Right. I saw Paul Matthews. I saw Paul.
1: Yep.
0: And that's crazy. the fact that all it takes to, like, like to the fact that, like, I, I showed this to someone. I was like, who do you think that is? And they're like, I don't know. Is that, like, a new up-and-comer? It's like, that's Nick Cage. What? No. All it took was a beard. Are you serious? Beard and a bald cap, apparently. Yeah.
1: He reminded, I saw him, and I'm like, this is going to sound really weird, which made the whole movie really weird for me to watch as well. I watched him. was like, this reminds me of my pediatrician. It's freaking me out.
0: That's like, fascinating. The way,
1: the way he was talking but it was just like, but the fact that it's like, I so didn't see Nick Cage in that. I'm like, I'm seeing someone else and it's freaky, like really freaky. Wow. um, It's well, we'll get into the movie. Uh, Do you want to start the trailer? Yeah.
0: Let's start the trailer. All right. Why does the zebra look the way it does? (laughs) So embarrassing. Hey, (laughs) Focus. Says how it went. No, it's different now. Oh! you've been on my mind recently. Because huh? You keep popping up in my dreams. You don't do anything. You're just there. So this specific person, the remarkable nobody,
1: I've also had that experience. Do you have a picture?
0: Have you been dreaming about me?
1: Have I been dreaming about you?
0: Yeah. There's like a 100 messages! Somebody wants to interview me! This is
1: strange. Maybe you should take a minute and think before you do anything drastic.
0: Why me? Uh, I don't know. I'm special, I guess. How does it feel to go viral? Who's actually had a dream about me? Telling me, but I'm going to have nightmares. I wish I was the one people were dreaming about. Me too. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's something. How's he dealing with all this? We're not even the type of people that like attention, you know? Do you think other people are seeing you naked? Maybe thousands. Mm. I hope I'm may behaving in your dreams. Oh, no, you're not. So I'm finally cool, huh? I didn't say that. You hear that, Janet? She's saying I'm a cool dad. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: I really feel like you're playing with fire here. Dad, please help me! I'm not
0: actually doing anything to them. You know, fame can come with some less desirable side effects. You should be prepared for that.
1: Maybe we should cool this thing off. What? What do you mean? It's embarrassing. Which part?
0: I guess I'll uh. I guess I'll see you in my dreams. <laughs> yeah, of course not. Thanks. So the trailer makes it seem that this is going to be a very whimsical A twenty four, but see, in your experience, did you do you ever think that A twenty four movies stay whimsical? So A twenty four. Okay,
1: they are. They have become one of the most fascinating brands to me in the sense that they very much have managed to set themselves uniquely apart from almost all the other um, production companies. Like, the only ones who have such a unique visual stamp at this point is maybe Blumhouse at their caliber, but even then it's not the same. But with A24 movies, it's always got to be... There's a there's a few different kinds of A24 movies, but if they do they stay whimsical. Well, not usually.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, when I,
1: Moonlight is your most whimsical, that says a lot.
0: <laughs> I I gotta say, um, I was expecting an A24 comedy that had something to say about dreams, and. I feel like what I got instead was a very 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 cynical movie about
1: cancel culture.
0: Yeah, about cancel culture. Like, okay, actually see, something I want to ask you. But do it also you, sorry, go on. Do you, do you feel like do you feel like this movie may have been maybe more sci-fi oriented in an earlier draft? Um,
1: so I think... I was thinking about this. So I've said it I said it literally earlier in this episode. I love a good premise. I really, really, really do. I think if you can come up with the original premise for a movie, that's half the battle right there. The other half is fully executing on that premise. Yes. Um, and I think what happened is this movie takes a very ambiguous approach to its premise. Like, you actually, what what we wanted, and what we want is this movie to really dive headfirst into what it would be like for a person to actually go through this and become extremely personal in that endeavor. And it kind of does, but then every time it gets close, it almost consciously backs off. Every once in a while.
0: I would say, I agree with you. I would say that the premise for this movie was more sci-fi in nature. Mm -hmm. And that uh, because of the time we're living in, maybe the writer. um, Adjusted it. May, uh, let me let me see. Oh, yeah, the director—it's a writer-director, Christopher Borgelli. Yeah. Uh, maybe uh, he decided. Which
1: congrac- <laughs> by the way, congratulations to you, man. This is virtually your directorial debut. Well, he Not had he had, a, he had
0: a he had his European film earlier oh. last year, but oh. this is like an American debut. Okay. Which, if your second movie is a Nick Cage uh, header, like you got to right be doing on. something right, right? Yeah. Right. On. <laughs> um, but it looks like that he wrote something like akin to maybe like a black mirror episode and, and and once the once the mic is off I'm gonna I'm gonna explain to you my my, my hypothesis because that would be spoiling too much of the movie if we talked sure. about it on air sure uh I feel as though he noticed kind of the the era That's we're right. living in in America yeah and he saw that a little bit of his of his story touched on that mm-hmm. and he decided to make his entire movie about that. Hmm. but I think the problem is, is that he kind of did not have a full understanding of like,
1: cause it was how, going on not, at the time. So you can't, it's hard to like, 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 like
0: it look, it look like, did you ever feel like you're watching a movie where like, Oh, this, this writer director or this writer has the movie has something to say about something, but it doesn't really know a lot about it. Mm. That's what I felt with dream scenario in that regard. I, I, it feels like this was a different movie when he conceptualized it. And maybe during the writing and definitely during the 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 shooting of it, he decided to make it something else. Mm-hmm. And you could tell because something gets brought up in the third act that you're like, well, where the fuck did that come from? And not just that, some some high profile actors show up in the third act where you're like. Unexpectedly so. You're like what are you like? And I'm not saying like a listers, I'm saying like up and comers, like people who've been on HBO shows, people who've been like leads in, in like other movies. Also some weird social media stars for some reason. Yeah. And, and the fact that you're like, you guys are just like for like what amounts to a cameo for mm-hmm. like a, a director who this is their first like movie. Like, are you guys just doing this? Cause you, and only like one of them talks to Nick cage mm-hmm. and you're like, why are you doing this? And then I was like, no, this was a different type of movie. And it looked like maybe like in the middle of production the director was like, actually I kinda wanna focus on this one element that I kinda touched upon, which was cancel culture, mm-hmm. and let me let me work on that. Um But and- here's the thing, the
1: movie is kind of what I realized, I have to add, because I agree with what you're saying, and I know what element you're talking about, which we won't talk about. I think also by the end of it, he kind of like, you know what? I'm okay with the way it is now because it's playing out like an actual dream where yeah. kind of things take sudden strange course corrections. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why he was okay with it.
0: Yeah. So, um, so yeah. Uh, let, let me just say because I, 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 maybe, maybe it's coming off as I'm being a little critical on the movie. And, and mm-hmm. to be fair, I, I, I do have some critiques. Let me just say first and foremost, Nick Cage is astounding in this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He disappears into the role of Paul Matthews. And that's like you, you gotta remember, Nick Cage may not be the blockbuster draw that Tom Cruise is, but what he shares with Tom Cruise in, and Brad Pitt is that those faces are so iconic that their movies is never Tom Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Nick Cage are. It's always like they're in. It's always Nick Cage is in The Weatherman. Tom mm-hmm. Cruise is in Mission Impossible. Uh, Brad Pitt is in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Mm-hmm. You're always like, oh, that's Brad Pitt. You never say the character's name. Because like, you, you're like, no, that's Nick Cage. And in this one, I was like, no, that's Paul Matthews. That, like, like, like Nick Cage is there for like a second, and then it's just M- M- Professor Matthews throughout the entire movie. And that that right there just tells you that you are dealing with an absolute master at his craft. That oh, yeah. that because here's the thing for those type of stars or even like former stars, that iconic face is a crutch, because now your your performance gets so much harder because you gotta make yourself disappear into the role. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, he does. And he does. Uh, do, do you have anything to add to that, C? Well,
1: okay. As far as specifically his ability in the acting, his his performance it, in this his movie, his performance, he. I completely agree with what you're saying. He completely vanishes. He also somehow managed to add so many... And this is actually credit to the writing of the movie as well. This character is so well layered. There's so much subtext to it. But we get to see the glorious subtext in a fun way. Like, there's this, there's an opening scene that involves um, a cell phone, is all I'll say. And I fucking loved it mostly because a it's a funny scene but b his performance in it is wonderful absolutely wonderful um no without a doubt nick nick cage is the strongest element of the movie sorry the premise of the movie like the basic premise and the performance of nick cage are the two strongest things um but yeah as far as the performance goes i can't add any else than you've already said in that regard? It's it's simply fantastic.
0: Like like this is a type of performance that Nick Cage would have gotten a nomination for, except it's a stacked year for performances. It's a so, stacked
1: year performances, and this is just a touch too weird for a stacked year.
0: Yeah, it's a touch too weird, and um, like maybe like maybe he'll get lucky because he did get nominated for a Golden Globe, but really I'm not gonna, I, Yeah, but I'm not gonna hold my breath.
1: Also, for the record, I do. I do appreciate the way this was shot um, oh yeah it was
0: shot on film
1: <laughs> It was shot so that's why um, uh, a friend of ours saw this and he pointed out that it must it was intentionally done so that the dreams were shot extra grainy um, for an effect so I don't I, I'm really hoping that was done in the moment and not in post but I guess we don't entirely know
0: so interesting interesting because I'm just looking at the trivia at the IMDB. Yeah. Ari Aster was going to direct this with Adam Sandler. Like, what? like Christopher Bor- Borgheli's had just had made a film and he had wrote this before he did his film from last year. Sick of myself. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a film. I, I think it's a French film because Nicholas or Christopher Borgheli is French. Let me double check.
1: Oh, that suddenly connects. Uh,
0: no, he's Norwegian. And, uh, okay. okay so that, that makes a lot of sense. This, this is a Norwegian <laughs> film. Um, so he had wrote the script, approached Ari Aster for him to direct it. Ari Aster was going to do it with Adam Sandler. And then after Christopher Christopher Borgley made his uh, directorial debut, Ari Aster was like, you know what? What about, why don't you direct this? And he was like, well, I'd love to, but I wouldn't want Adam Sandler. I'd want Nick Cage. And Ari Aster went to Nick Cage and said, hey, I got a movie for you. Mm. So. So, and yeah. you can see
1: you can see Nick Cage immediately saying yes to this. No, no, yeah.
0: the Nick, Nick Cage so Nick Cage is really into like Jungian psychology. Um he's really into this idea of like his his acting comes from like his soul bonding with other things. So this this is right <laughs> this is right up his alley.
1: I, for, I forgot about that whole thing he thinks.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
1: Like no no no
0: judgment. Just no say it.
1: Judgment just just what we said was a fact of Yeah. Him. That's
0: yeah. true. L- listen, like you said, it's a, he, it's a very layered performance. Paul Matthews is a very layered guy. Mm-hmm. This is lo- th- he's pretty much a doormat who resents being a doormat yeah. but doesn't want to not be a doormat. It, that, that's that's a layered character. This is one of the more layered characters Nick Cage has played.
1: And for the um, record, I gotta so as far as I have to talk about the script again for a sec. The first act is perfect. The second act is good, and the third act starts to become a little aimless. That's for the record, sort of the way it goes.
0: So speaking of, speaking about the the, the script, I'm mm-hmm. glad you brought it up, and I want to I want to know your thoughts. Mm-hmm. My issue with the movie. So, folks, not to spoil, but I'm going to be real with you. This is not a, th- not even by a twenty-four standard, is this a a a uh, a kind of like uh, like sweet movie? This is not a. What did I call it earlier? A a whimsical whimsical. This is not whimsical at all. No. In in fact, this movie's kind of bitter and cynical and and I, I there's another way to put it this this is kind of a tragedy it is that being said here here's the thing I'm, when i when i say tragedy i'm using and uh, the original way of the tragedy which which was the shakespearean way the the greek tragedy which was yeah. this there, is a
1: greek tragedy oh my god yeah, you're
0: right yeah well this is attempting to be a greek tragedy for, in my opinion mm-hmm. this film So in Greek tragedies, the way it starts off is you have a character that's in a good place, a mediocre place, and a bad place, or a bad place, one of those three levels. And because of a bad character vice, they just go rock bottom, right? Mm -hmm. They just go rock bottom. They they do not succeed. They fail. They go rock bottom. What's the most famous tragedy? Macbeth. Macbeth is in that kind of so-so part of his life. He's in a so status in his life. Oh, I thought you missed... I was, like, confused. I thought you meant most famous Greek
1: tragedy. That would be Oedipus, but...
0: Oh, well, yeah, Oedipus, but the most famous overall English-language tragedy is Macbeth, yes. where Macbeth is, like, he's in a... he's in a moderate status in life, and because of his... uh because of his pride, he ends up crashing and burning, right? Yes. And the thing... here's the thing about tragedies, though. This is a very key element of a tragedy, is that Right before they crash and burn, right before it's like, like oh, I, I'm done for. I'm going to jail. I'm going to die. I'm, I'm going to be a nobody. They learn that, like, oh, this would not have happened if I didn't do this. Mm-hmm. Like, in Macbeth, he learns his lesson through madness. He does this whole monologue where he realizes, like, oh... Well, you know the famous monologue. It's not, where,
1: it uh, is not my mind, but a uh, but a vat of scorpions for my mind, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really good. It's no, great, it's really good. And and yeah.
0: and he gets killed, right? Yeah, that's it's fucking beheaded, right? So, uh, dream scenario is trying to do that. Now, here's the thing, though: when you have a character that doesn't learn their lesson or doesn't really learn anything. You don't have a tragedy. You have something that in is is in in writer circles is called, oh, you just wrote a shoot a shaggy dog story where you have the shaggy dog, you abuse it, like you abuse it horribly throughout the entire story, and in the end you just shoot it. The dog learned nothing. It just got tortured. And for me, in my opinion, I feel like Christopher Borg- Borgley was attempting to make a Greek tragedy and instead made a shoot the shaggy dog story. What do I mean by that? Without getting into specifics, uh, basically, uh, Paul Matthews' life, Paul Matthews' story goes from like, he's in a pretty mediocre status in life. He's a nobody, nobody respects him, and he's kind of resentful of that. And the the plot plays out, and how I saw it is that he didn't really learn his lesson and he suffers incredible loss because of everything that's happening in the plot sometimes it felt like this is a little too much this is a little too cruel to him even though he's not a perfect perfect little moral angel no and at the end like he's in a really really bad place and you're like it doesn't feel like he really learned anything like the only thing you can really say he learned was that like man wouldn't it be great if I if I had this that wasn't that great in my life, but I just kind of had it back for a little bit, mm-hmm. and that to me is what kind of brought the movie down for me because I, this is not a this is not a critique on the on the technical aspect of the movie on like this is just a little bias I have. I'm just not a fan of shoot the shaggy dog stories because mm-hmm. when I go see a story, I just I'm not a fan of just watching. Like. Suffering. Suffering. Right. I'm just not. That's my personal bias. I know that's on me. And maybe you watch this and you get something else out of it. But that's just me. And that was my thing with this movie. That like. I'm not saying like oh the trailer light. Although the the trailer was a little misleading. It's just that the things that he goes. The thing that he goes through. I was like this is a bit much. Now I I get what the movie's trying to do. Because it's trying to focus on cancel culture. It's just that it's not a one-to-one analogy because we also had a,
1: we also had a better movie like a year ago. Talk about it, uh, about cancel culture anyways, but anyways, sorry. Yeah. So,
0: so what, what do you think? So do you think I'm out of line? Do you think no, I'm, you're
1: not out of line. I don't think you're out of line. I genuinely think that this is what happens when you have a really good premise and you maybe just don't take your time with it. Like you, you rush, you rush into it. Um, which that's what I found frustrating about this movie. Again, I, let me be clear. I enjoyed this movie. I really did. But in the third act, I was kind of riding on like what I enjoyed about it earlier. And I'm like, okay, that's no way to put this. Um, like,
0: Like, let me ask you this. Did you ever feel like the consequences he was suffering, you were like, how does this... How is this making sense? Like, I know the movie's trying to say something about cancer culture. Well, but it's movie, like...
1: So, that was the thing. So, the movie was very intentionally trying to show that what he's suffering through makes no sense. It just also doesn't help. You then morally struggle with it when he doesn't do good things. You then struggle with that. Well, that,
0: that was the thing. I'm watching the movie and the movie's like, see, this is what happens. And I'm like, but he... He didn't do anything wrong to those people.
1: Yeah, like
0: he he does he does do something wrong, right? Yeah. And he suffers humiliation because of it. Yeah, but like, like, like the, the the thing is this: in the movie, in the movie itself, in the universe the movie sets up, it explicitly states that this is a weird phenomenon. This has never happened before. Who knows what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think this is much of a spoiler, but the. the his appearance in people's dreams take a dark turn. Mm-hmm. And credit to the movie, the movie makes a point to say that like it's happening constantly to these people to the point that that they're like they have an emotional trigger towards him because it's the, literally
1: the, they're experiencing nightmare on Elm Street. Um, yeah, they're without, without but waking up not harmed, basically.
0: Exactly. That's all well and good, but then like instead of the movie like trying to develop that in a way that's that makes logical sense. The movie just kind of goes like, well, yeah, we got to, you know, these people, these people are suffering. So we got to cancel you. And, and the movie does go like, and he goes like, why, why am I being canceled? And the thing is, the problem is this, when you're trying to make a movie about cancel culture, or you're trying to make an analogy to cancel culture, a big part of cancel culture is that you did something that Genuinely people bad. that 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 a number of people found objectable, objectionable, Yeah. and the thing is, rationally he does not do anything of the sort. He does something bad, but it's not yeah. public.
1: Yeah. And so, for the record, sorry, I got I got to interject here.
0: Sure. For the record,
1: I had a theory on what the ending on how this movie was going to go, and it, and I was hoping. Here's what I thought was going to happen. I thought it was going to go okay. And This is in the trailer. He's in everyone's dreams. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then he starts to be in people's nightmares, and that becomes a problem. Now here's what I thought was going to happen. Let me be clear. This is not what happened. What I thought they were going to do was that it was going to get worse and worse and worse, and then one day everybody woke up, and at first they didn't dream about him anymore, and he's relieved. Then they start dreaming about somebody else and he gets jealous. And then I thought the rest of the movie was going to be him trying to find ways to keep that popularity alive. And I thought it was going to kind of be him trying to be like, trying to keep that viral moment from dying, so to speak. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought it was going to be. I thought the third act was going to be him like wishing it could have been around. And I thought it was going to be a giant analogy for the golden goose. So to, or the Sorry, the goose that lays the golden eggs. Yeah. Like, you know, appreciate what you have while you have it. Don't worry about what you don't when you don't have it anymore. Things like that. I thought that's what it was gonna be. Um, I wish it was that or but I accepted that it wasn't a possibility that it'd be that. But instead what they do is they actually and we mentioned this in our variety episode related to another movie, it kinda does like a weird meta Larry David esque kind of thing, where you add one really unexpected element. Which, for the record, not saying what it is, but you can tell they shot this part way that part way later. Um, oh my
0: God! Some I, I'm gonna let you finish. But another thing yeah. that makes this very Larry David-esque, very sad enthusiasm-esque, yeah. is the fact that like Larry David creates a scenario where you, the audience, are like, yeah, Larry's being the reasonable one, yeah. but in in his universe, in his show, everyone else is saying that Larry's being the unreasonable one. And the humor comes from you and the you and Larry going like everyone's nuts. How is this a problem? Mm-hmm. So, so that's that's a great observation. See,
1: thank you. Um, so, that's what it ends up doing. And then you end you tail end it with tying back into. I get you know what it also is. The thing they introduce in the final part of the movie that we're not saying they introduced way too fucking late. It lit. Let me say this folks. They literally introduce a plot device, literally. And like, I'm
0: con I'm convinced this was a major part of the movie that just got caught out. Cause the, the writer director wanted to focus on the kinds sculpture culture of it all.
1: Yeah. And it, it wasn't necessarily, if you're going to, that's the thing when you're writing a script, don't, if you're gonna do something, commit. You, he didn't kill the darling. I'm being, like, in in all of the writing classes I've had, and Al, this is for you as well. You know this. Uh, you got to kill your darlings, and this writer just didn't quite have the nerve to do it. And it, it, not- it,
0: it really looked like it really looked like he the, the board, went. You know what? I have an element of cancel culture, but that's such a big element in society today. I'm because it really felt like that plot element just took over the entire movie. Mm-hmm. The, the the idea because he goes from like fame, viral fame, um, trying to use that fame to get something you want. And then the cancel culture aspect just took over the entire movie, whereas there were layers to it. Like it was dealing with his inadequacy as as a man, his inadequacy as an academic. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that he doesn't he does not act on anything no. and he's incapable of it. And then you're like, that's interesting. How is he? What, what lesson is he going to learn? And then it just goes like he's a victim of cancel culture.
1: Or I also thought one element it was and for the record it does not do this. Not really for the record. I thought what it was gonna do was he he was because the movie really played into the fact that he was upset that he initially wasn't doing anything in the dream. He was sort of standing back and then suddenly he was the nightmare of the dream. So I thought another element was going to play into it is that he was going to try to do any sort of thing he could to suddenly connect with what's in going on in the dreams. Like he's like, oh, I know how I can stop it. I can, I can be consciously in it and try Mm -hmm. to, like, consciously or subconsciously prevent the bad thing from happening. Mm
0: -hmm. And 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 it doesn't it doesn't do anything. Like you said, it's a great premise. It's an amazing premise. It's just, Mm -hmm. and I think you'll agree with me. It's just that it doesn't play out in a way that. It, 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 it plays out in a way that's, in my view, very weak, where it's yeah. like, okay, this premise is just being used to like beat up this character. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't mind beating up a character, but the fact that he just really doesn't learn anything, anything of substance, I'm like... Okay, I'm just here watching this guy suffer. And don't get me wrong, he has some flaws. Like his mm-hmm. his his inability to act on anything is his own fault. And then the thing he does to to kind of the thing he does something objectionable that I found objectionable, but he suffered a humiliation for it. Mm-hmm. And and from my thing is this. Like it just the fact that there was no rational actor, like like the moment he starts People are afraid of him because of the dreams. You're like, okay, some people would be afraid. Some people would be like, this is stupid. No, you shouldn't be afraid. The fact that everybody's like, well, you, you know, they're afraid.
1: They're They're afraid.
0: afraid. We're all afraid of you. And these people are afraid. So we got to kind of have to fuck you over. The fact that everybody was doing that, it really felt like a Larry David situation where you're just kind of looking at everyone's like, is no one being like when his wife's not even being reasonable about it. Mm -hmm. Like, like I was re- I was reading someone who said like she was being reasonable. She was like, "Listen, apologize to the mob and they'll leave us alone. I just want to be left alone." I'm like, "Okay, I can get that." But the fact the fact that she's like, "Apologize cuz you're in the wrong and they're in the right." I was like, "What? First of all, you're his wife. Shouldn't you be supporting him because you know he did nothing wrong?" Mm-hmm. And and then there was like there was like other other threads I was reading on Reddit where they were talking about like, "Well, what he does in the dream is is connected with like what he does in the real world and i was like see that's fine and all but the movie and i think the movie's intentional about this the movie makes no attempt until kind of sort of in the third act to explain like what was the mechanics of all this mm-hmm. and the thing is like okay well if, then that's important to know so that he has some liability for why why he's suffering the way he is cuz as I watched the movie, I was like, he really had no control over it. And if the movie wants us to think like, no, he actually does have some control over it. They have to give us something. Not something in the third act that you're like, what the fuck is this? How did this get brought up? Because it's, it's all associated with the plot device. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, do you have anything else to add about the plot? Or do we just want to talk about some other things that we may have liked or not liked about the movie?
1: I think I can talk about some things we just liked or didn't like. One thing I have to add, though. Um, so... There, there are some movies uh, actually both of which were written by the same person
0: um, are you gonna say Charlie Kaufman yes um,
1: <laughs> you're telling me this doesn't give you Charlie Kaufman vibes you're gonna honestly say with a straight face I I that this I'm does not convinced, give you Charlie I'm vibes? convinced
0: when Christopher Borgley wrote this he was like I wonder if I can meet Charlie Kaufman or um, what's the other guy the one who did eternal sunshine oh Uh. Um, uh no wait, Charlie uh, Kaufman wrote. Uh, Charlie Kaufman wrote, they directed. Uh,
1: Spike. No, Spike, uh, Spike
0: Jones, Spike Jones uh, wrote, uh, wrote or directed. Uh, Being John Being Malkovich. Being John Malkovich. Oh, um,
1: Eternal Sunshine. I thought French,
0: French. Um, Michael oh, Gondry, Michelle Gondry. Yes,
1: you're right. Either Sorry.
0: Kaufman or Gondry would have been amazing in this, and they probably right. would have told him, "Hey, you need to fix this element of the of the plot because." Yeah. At this point you're just you're just making a shoot the shaggy dog story and who wants to see that?
1: But what you need to do is you need to create if you did a trilogy this you could create an unofficial viewing double feature where it is you you can interchange this movie with a bunch of other films to be a really freaky double feature. Eternal yeah, Sunshine with like, the Spotless Mind.
0: Eternal Sunshine is dreams and romance yes. dream scenario is dreams and fame.
1: Yeah. You can also tie this in with being John Malkovich. Holy shit. You can really tie it in, in that way because again, it's sort of these self-aware movies, John Malkovich being very literal in that sense. Um, I just find it interesting that like it pulls from these other movies and actually arguably has a more approachable and, le- or, you know, sorry, has a better on paper pitch, uh um, not pre- um premise. Premise, sorry. Yeah, it has a better on paper pitch premise than any of these other movies, but the execution of the other movies was
0: better. That being than this. said, that being said, like you said, the first act in here was amazing. The way the way this movie sets up, like gradually that he's showing up in people's dreams is amazing, and it climaxes with him fainting. Yeah, that's that's the best that was like where I was like, I'm loving this movie because it was like it was slow at first. It was like, oh, my God, I dreamed about you. And then he's noticing students just keep staring at him. And and it starts off with him talking with his daughter, who's like, oh, you didn't do anything in the dream. It's like, I didn't do anything, really? And it just grows and grows and grows until he gets a call from a frenemy who doesn't like him, who's like, you would not believe what just happened at a dinner party that I never invite you to because I don't like you. Yeah, and I was like, I was like, this is such a great way to just establish. And up
1: until that point, it was actually, you know, when it did it huh. for me, it was literally. So once he's in the classroom and he's like, they're at like everyone's packed in there, and they're he asks them what they're dreaming. After that moment is when things started to not be as good for me in that movie.
0: After that, that, that being said, I what I really enjoyed is the how the uh, dreams were conceived they really so michelle gondry would have designed them in a much more like dream like like fantasy world where like things don't make sense the way uh designs the dreams here is that they all seem to be in the real world but then there's something just really weird about it like 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 a monster running towards a guy or crocodiles just being there or like Someone's dying and he's just standing there looking, or or, or you're floating in the air. So mm. I liked how the dreams were conceived. I thought yeah. that was really really well I love the
1: earth. I love the earthquake disaster dream. That was really oh that one was really good. Yeah, yeah I yeah, saw yeah. that. I was like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> and
0: and but, then the nightmares. I was like, they they were. It was very much like, oh, these are homages to Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay, and Nick Cage gets
1: to live out his fantasy of being Freddy Krueger.
0: Does he so. have that? Was that like an actual fantasy he had?
1: I'm just guessing. No, I'm just guessing. You know, you can, without ever him admitting it, you know he would have, if he was offered, he'd be like, oh yeah, I'll be Freddy Krueger. I'd love to. Like, so, you know he would.
0: So, this is strange to say, but even though there's a full cast here, yeah. he really only interacts a lot with uh, his wife, played by Julianne Nicholson, who I love. She was in Mayor of Easttown.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, She's, she's great. great, great actress. She she's does a really lot of good. plays on Broadway. Yeah. And he and uh, he has an extended sequence with uh, with this C- act <laughs> with Michael Sarah that, that that which was, was amazing. Weird,
1: it was amazing, but it was very weird. And I understand uh, they were trying to make it dreamlike, but in reality, they held on to it for a little too long for my
0: taste. I mean, they, they, just held, made them. they held. They held on to it for, for a little too long, and in my personal opinion, I feel like that was probably shot after some rewrites on the script. That's just Maybe. me. That's Maybe. just me. Um. Uh, I and uh then he has a an extended scene with uh with uh, this uh, actress Dylan Galula who plays the character of Molly that so so these three oh actors god.
1: that whole sequence is weird
0: <laughs> yeah that whole sequence is weird but it's, it that the, the it, it climaxes in a perfect way oh my god <laughs> <laughs> oh you oh me but um, oh. but listen um I this is really weird I did not like and I knew the movie was intentional about this, where the relationship between him and his wife. I'm like, okay, this is one that's like not very happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like in the last few minutes, it turns into like this one of the most romantic things I've ever seen. Like like no joke. Like that just showed you that there was a point in time where Nick Cage was a great romantic lead. Mm-hmm. Like like there's a there's a there's 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 something that happens in the end. That's so romantic and so like. It was very sweet. Very sweet. That when you when you know the full context of what's going on, like his final line in the movie, I was like, "Well, that was just cruel," because yeah. because throughout the entire movie they're like, "Oh, they don't really look like they're happy with each other," and then you get that and you're like, "Movie, what the fuck?" Mm-hmm. Um, the like I said, the stuff he the stuff uh, he does with the character of Molly w- uh, with Dylan Galula. It it works. It really, really works. And in no small part to her knowing how to react with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, with Nick Cage's character Paul Matthews. I thought it was very well done. And obviously, you've mentioned Michael Sarah. Mm-hmm. This is so weird because I was I was like, this is the first time I've seen Michael Sarah not do Michael Sarah. Like, like you know when he does his Michael Sarah, his his voice is higher, and it's kind of like, I'm I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm I'm a little scared. And this yeah. one, he's like his voice is deep and he's confident. Yeah.
1: Well, he does what he did in uh, Molly's game in an interesting way but oh, it's been a i've seen that it, it, yeah you don't need to but it's um, he's like doing he turns out he the he's uh, he, he has the ability to go a few ranges below his voice
0: mm-hmm. uh, so what so what, what rating do you want to give this movie see this
1: this is a try hard flush And what I mean by that is I am giving it a flush because its premise is great. I loved the way it was shot. Uh, And Nicolas Cage disappears into the role. So those ingredients alone, and because you can tell it's really trying to be original and unique and different, give it a flush. But much like where I say I'm calling it a tryhard, it's still lacking in a lot of areas. I am excited to see what else this director this writer/director has to offer, but um this is a yeah, it's a try hard flush and you really got to tighten up what you do here, buddy. Like that that's you, you got away with it, but if you didn't have such a cool premise, you you might not have we wouldn't be I wouldn't have said what I said there. But yeah, a try hard flush.
0: I okay. am calling this a flaky flush because okay. This is an amazing Nicolas Cage performance. This is top 10 easy because he totally disappears into the role. And for, again, for a guy with an iconic face and an iconic voice such as his, that is hard to do.
1: No, he gives it this nasally. It's so good.
0: No, not the twitch he does when he's like oh, mad but doesn't want to show it. Oh. And then he goes, But, but, but why, Gail? And I'm like, All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Um,. The uh, listen, the the way it, the cinematography is great. I love, I love uh, 35 millimeter c- cinematography. Uh, and then they do this they do. they do this thing where like at the corners, it's rounded corners. Oof. I don't know if you noticed that. That's like so old school, but, it's great. Um, uh, and and listen, the way that I just came, I'm just kidding. The <laughs> way the dreams are, the way the dreams are like. Directed and executed and presented They were it's, all re- They're all great All the dreams are amazing All the dreams are great They work really well It's obviously uh, get Putting his like stamp on it Because he's like I'm not gonna do Michael G- Michelle Gondry I'm not gonna do Charlie Kaufman I'm gonna try to do my own thing Where it's mm-hmm. like It looks real But then there's one thing That just throws everything off And I thought it worked Really really well Yeah um, The Like you said The premise is great And that first act Like you said Up until that 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 like packed out classroom mm-hmm. that packed out lecture. So hall, like the,
1: like actually at about the halfway. Well,
0: not quite halfway. Um, when, when, when the cancel culture thing just became the, the whole movie. Yeah. That's and where it, like, hold up. And, and, and here's the thing. Again, I'm a little biased. I'm not a really a fan of movies where like, like the main character basically gets rung through the ringer and doesn't really learn anything. We just saw that person suffer just to suffer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they like the ending was just very, to me, it was very, it was so beautiful. That seems so cruel. Yeah. Uh, That being said, like, so I know that that's just my bias, but, but the fact of the matter is when you let one element just take over your entire movie, when your movie was kind of juggling different themes, like his ability to not act kind of like, how does he feel about the fact that even in dreams, he's not doing anything. Um, You know, the fact that like, the fact that he wants—he just wants to be famous just to... Like, he doesn't want to be rich. He just wants to publish a book.
1: Yeah. Right? That's all he wants. Like, and, he wants and, notoriety within something he's dedicated his life to. That's yeah. what he wants.
0: And and then it just becomes like, why am I being canceled? I was like, dude, I get it. Cancel culture is a big deal in America. But you obviously don't have a good grasp of why cancel culture is a thing. Yeah. And you just made it your entire movie. And because, like, I know why culture cancel culture exists... I'm like, uh, okay and that really really brought the movie down for me and then just the added just the, the fact that the fact that Paul Matthews just suffered throughout everything and doesn't even get introspective about why he suffered at least the way I, I interpret the film
1: he didn't get it.
0: I I was like, it is what it is. Uh, so yeah this this to me is a is a flaky flush um, but listen, I'll, I'll be interested to see what this guy does next because you know this was ambitious. And maybe he didn't stick the landing 100%, but he definitely did 75%, I would say. Yeah.
1: He did the work, and it was was a fun time.
0: All right. So this has been our review of Nick Cage and Dream Scenario. This has been What Do You Think? I'm Al. And I'm C. Sweet dreams. Good night, everybody.